0: You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Amen, church. You may be seated. Praise the Lord we worship him this morning wow what a powerful time of worshiping the king of kings right that's who we've come to be with today the king of kings and the lord of lords on this december sunday where we often remember and celebrate the coming of jesus during christmas time and appreciate the team and everything that they've done to get us ready for today and the decorations and everything else and just the worship Uh, But I want us to understand that with all of those things and all the accoutrements and all of the decoration and everything else, the most important thing is that we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords because he is the one that we celebrate uh, someone texted me earlier this morning saying, I know sometimes Christmas can be difficult, but it's telling the same story over and over and over again. And, and it's true, and yet it's the same story that I never get tired of telling. It's the greatest story ever told when God came to earth. We should never get tired of that. The truth is, as we think about our king Jesus. Royalty and monarchy, at least in our context, is not something that we know a lot about, unless you're a history buff. And I mean, about the only time you care about royalty or monarchy is when there's a royal wedding, right? Or somebody has some news about Meghan Markle or whatever. That's like, oh, I want to know what's going on. That's about the only thing that we usually know or care about when it comes to royalty. But the, the reality is, is that we have a king who came to earth, who is the king of a royal kingdom. So, It makes a lot of sense. It seems very logical that we would understand what it means to worship a king who is the king of his kingdom that we're a part of. So that's what I really would like to talk about that Jesus was and is the king of kings and knowing how to relate to him as such as our king is a good place to start. And one of those ways is that we come to worship the king. This series is entitled The King Has Come. And if he has come and we believe that he's returning again because he is, there is a lot of worship that goes on surrounding the fact that he is our king who is soon returning. So if you are uh, a part of the kind of Christian calendar, this is the Advent season. And Advent simply means coming. It means that we celebrate the coming of our king, that God came as a a baby, as a, a A son of God came in the flesh so that we could be saved and so we could be delivered and we could worship him in the middle of all the things that we're going through. So how he came and what it means and how he should respond is is what we should look at. That's what we're going to look at today. I believe God is going to expand our hearts to know him more intimately because in Jesus Christ, the king has come and one day the king will return. There will be the return of the king. So, one of the more well known portions of scripture, you don't have to turn there, but if you've uh, read and listened to, or maybe you've every year you go to some sort of Christmas play or something, you've heard this read over and over again the portion of scripture and the narrative where the wise men go to King Herod because they're looking for this newborn king. And they say this in Matthew chapter 2 verse 2, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now this would have freaked Herod out and it did because he was the king and he didn't want to hear about another king. We saw the star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Very simply, they said there is a king and what you do when there is a king is you worship him. Apparently an appropriate response to a king is worship. And these people who understood kings and kingdoms knew how to approach a king. They did so with gifts. They did so with reverence. They did so with adoration and worship, even a little newborn king. And we see this in the wise men and their approach to King Jesus. I love this. They didn't come to get something from God. They came to give something to God. They didn't come so that God could elevate their name. They came so they could give the glory that was due his name. And if you think about it, a lot of times in our context, we are the ones that come into the king's courts. And we expect to get something instead of give something. We expect that we're going to show up on a Sunday morning to worship the king of kings so that we can get something. Our motivation for church and worship and everything else can be reduced to a formula of give in order to receive. When we replace a loving relationship with the king with an empty ritual, that's exactly what we get, an empty ritual. We start to believe that God exists for us. And if we do the right things, or at least more right things than wrong things, and we check all of the holy boxes, we, we say our prayers, we read our Bible, we go to church, we give financially, and we serve, then God has to do whatever we want him to do. But that's Santa Claus. That's not the King of Kings. The King of Kings is not necessarily here just to meet all of your requests and wants and needs as a matter of fact that's not why God exists God does not exist for us we exist for God and that's very important and as we exist for God and as we worship the king absolutely as a loving father there is blessing that is poured out upon us But we exist for him, not the other way around. We exist to glorify his name. We are made in his image, not the other way around. We're created to do good works that he prepared for us to do. Ephesians says in chapter 2, verse 10, that we're created to glorify him, to serve him, to worship him, to make him known, to bring honor to his name. And God wants all of our hearts, your whole heart, so it comes to worship. He wants everything that we have. Jesus is the king of kings, and so he Deserves all that we have and more. For years, our church has been known as a church that wholeheartedly worships God. For as long as I've been a part, which is since day one. We were known to be a church that, hey, that that church is going to worship Jesus and they're going to go for it. And, And reality is no matter what context you worship God and how you worship him and all the preferences that we have in our church services, there's always more that we can learn about worshiping God. Just like we said in wisdom and instruction, there's always more for me to learn that I should, you should never come in here on a Sunday morning just sitting there wondering if there's something for you to learn. Oh, there is. There's so much that God wants to teach us. Let me just say, when it comes to worship, we're not just talking about the portion of the Sunday service where we sing the songs, though that's an amazing part of it. And I am so grateful for musical worship. And again and again, throughout the Bible and the book of Psalms, we see that is exactly what God wants us to do and is talking about when it comes to praise and worship. But worship is more than that. It's a lifestyle. Worship isn't just something that we do. It's someone that you are you're a worshiper. And so what you do as a worshiper flows out of who you are and whose you are. Who do you belong to? The king of kings. So you're his son and his daughter, a part of the royal priesthood that is called to show forth his praises in the earth. The call, the one that has called you out of darkness into marvelous light, the king of kings and the lord of lords, that we worship him wholeheartedly. You were created to worship God from the depth of your heart, to exalt him as king and praise his name together that's why I love praising his name together Psalm 34 again this isn't the text for this morning but I want to read it I will extol the Lord at all times his praise shall continually or always be on my lips I will glory in the Lord let the afflicted hear and rejoice glorify the Lord with me let us exalt his name together This is how I think about church, the context of gathering. Hey, glorify the Lord with me today. Let us exalt his name together. If you're afflicted, I know I am. Let's exalt his name together. Let's glorify him. Let's extol him as the king who is in charge of everything. And so we consider that Jesus came as a humble king, but that he is still the king of kings. Even though he came as a baby, he will return as something quite different. Let's ask God to deepen our desire to know him more, to know him more intimately and to worship him more passionately and to worship him more appropriately, the way that a king should be worshipped. The king has come and the king will worship. It will return again, so we must worship him. Kings typically get reverence and honor, even in our normal world. So if Jesus isn't just a king, but the king of kings He deserves all glory and all honor. So how do we do this? How do we worship him with our lives? But then also practically, what are some postures of worship that we're to take? And that's really what I want to look at out throughout the course of this series is that we come into the king's courts, as we come into the presence of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. What are some postures that our lives and our hearts and our bodies physically take to worship him as he has called us to worship him? Because if God has your heart, we said this about wisdom, he has your mouth too right so if God has your heart there are some corresponding actions that should reflect that truth and reality if he has your heart he's got your mouth if he has your heart he's got your wallet if he has your heart he's got your time if he has your heart he's got your worship because he is king overall and that includes all of me and all of you now some of you you didn't grow up around church And maybe church is a new thing to you. You walk into a church like this and maybe it's kind of your first introduction to corporate worship and you see a lot going on or you don't see because it's dark and you're not sure where to go. And I mean, I've heard that before. It's just so dark in there. I'm like, you never complain when you go to the movie theater. Now get in there and sit down. I've never actually said that that just came to my mind right now but maybe I will say that the next time right uh the the truth of the matter is is that that we come in and then sometimes you just see people clapping and you're like what are they clapping for you see people with their hands lifted up and you're like what is that all about did their deodorant not dry this morning or something like what's going on and I know it's a little strange look it is it's strange the reality is there are a lot of things that god calls us to do that looks foolish to the world around us and yet there's something that god wants to do in humbling us as we respond to him as the king of kings because he's the king and i'm not so what does the bible god's word teach us this is what i want to look at specifically today what does the word of god teach us about lifting our hands to god and what exactly does it accomplish if you have your bible with you today I'll go ahead and tell you we're going to be in Psalm 63, verses 1 through 4. I just want to unpack that. I want to pull out of each of those verses what God's teaching us about worshiping him as king with our lifted hands. And like I said, I'll go back to this as you're looking for that in your Bible, but it's it's funny to watch. I get it. And there have been a ton of, of comedians and, and memes and, and little charts out there about lifting up our hands in worship. And I, you've probably seen them before. I've, I've regurgitated them before. And But because I like to make fun of myself and make fun of us, I think I'll do it again, right? So maybe you've, you're brand new to the lifting of the hands in worship. And maybe you never have. And you like, when you come in here, you stick your hands in your pockets and you hold on to your pockets. You ever done that? Like the pocket, you're just holding on to it. Like, I'm not... I'm not letting go, I'm not lifting up my hands. So, But here's a beginning, Like this is where a lot of people start. It's like, I'm holding a box. This is holding a box, lifting of the hands, right? This is where a lot of us start and you feel pretty good about that because if you're down here on the front row, nobody really can see you doing that and so you're cool. But if you wanna get a little bit further out, you just hold a bigger box, right? You, you, it's a bigger box. You lift them up a little higher, and it's like, this is how big I caught that fish out there on Clarks Hill Lake. It's like, you've done that before, and you lied, so you might as well do this in worship and do it in spirit and in truth, okay? So, right, so we go here, and then then it's, the, then it's kind of the, the, one, like the one-handed one, right? I got a question, God, I got a question, right? Some of y'all, if y'all have ever seen Tim Hawkins before, he's done this plenty of times. But this is my favorite, actually. It's like, Jesus, you're number one. You are number one, and then it's like, no, you really are number one. I get both up there, and it's you, God, you and you alone. Uh, some of you all uh, wished you had done this for, for your team a little bit more yesterday. This is like, you know, touchdown, touchdown, and then if you're young, like you, you just go both, and if you still can do this, it's like block the shot, block the shot, all right. and be careful not to foul your neighbor next to you. So cause some of y'all get a little bit wonky when you start jumping and you lose your equilibrium and you foul somebody next to you and that's that's just not appropriate in church so on a more serious note, Psalm 63, 1 through 4, so as not to ruin a biblical expression of worship for the rest of our lives. David is in the wilderness, and we just sang this a moment ago, when we are talking about a new beginning. He's at a very low point in his life. David cries out to God. This is a psalm of lament. And we talked about laments earlier this year, that a one-third of the psalms are actually lament psalms. Like, it's okay to cry out to God. And don't act like you don't have anything to cry out to God about it, that life's just perfect and I'm going to ignore all of this no you take the reality of what you're going through to the cross and to Jesus and you lament and you let God heal your heart and so this is a lament he says this you God are my God earnestly I seek you some translations say early in the morning which would be indicative of you being earnest right you know if you're going to get up early in the morning you're earnest about it whether it's going to the gym or whether it's reading your bible or spending time with God earnestly I seek you I thirst for you my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water maybe some maybe some of you today feel like David feels right here dry parched souls like this and it it, this describes maybe your current situation it feels like you're in a desolate place. Maybe you feel alone, rejected, hurt, angry, frustrated, lost, afraid. I didn't think that this is where I would be in my life right now. I didn't think at this season of my life, this is where I would be right now. But this is where I am. And David is in this place that he didn't expect to be because he was prophesied to be king. And now he's running for his life and he's crying out of the wilderness of his life. I need you, God. From the depths of my soul I need you. I long for you. There's nothing else in this earth that satisfies me like you, God. Would you please come? I desperately need you. Before I go any further, someone is here today that this describes you right now. I want you to know I've been here too. And I I was there this week. Where the only times that I felt right was I was either praising God in prayer or worship or asleep. I, I know how this feels, and, and I've, I've been there, and David's been there, and you've been there, and maybe you're there right now a place where you say, Where's the water, God? Like, I am parched. My mouth is so dry, and my soul is weary. Where is the water? My friends, your heart is crying out for God and he's the only one that can satisfy. I was looking for this this morning. This is a sponge, as you all know. But this is what your heart is like. And you know, you open up a brand new sponge, it's really nice and flexible, and this is like what happens when you first give your heart, and he gives you to God, and he gives you a new heart, and it's flexible, and it's malleable, and it can be shaped, and it can be formed, and the reality is, a lot of times, we're just like this, our heart, and we're satisfied with kind of doing this. Dip, right, okay, that's all I need. And then we wonder why. We're so dry and parched and frustrated and lost and hurt and angry and fearful and doubting because the reality is if this is your heart and if this is indicative of worship, which is the living water of God, then we have to be dipped down in there and saturated into the living water of God. Now, I'm just going to leave that there because guess what? It's just going to keep soaking up the water. And the longer that you stay in the presence of God, there's maximum saturation in his presence. And worship is one of the ways that the living water soaks back into our hearts and our lives to allow us what? To be poured out yet again. See, there's some of you right now that you're like a dry sponge spiritually. All I could think about when I was re- thinking about what a dry sponge is like is this, the SpongeBob movie, you know, like when he's about to dry out and he's like just all crusty and, and it, it's useless. If you ever tried to use a, a dry sponge, it's, you, you know what a dry sponge is good for? I don't know of anything, nothing. It's not, it's it's useless, hard-hearted. It's useless in accomplishing God's purpose if that's what your heart's like and your life's like because you still need the living water of Jesus Christ flowing through your life and you're gonna have to spend time in his presence, time in worship, time in prayer to get that maximum saturation. And after that, here's what happens. God will use you, so be ready to be what? Squeezed out for his purposes so that he can use you to spill out into other people's lives and then what are you going to need to do you're going to need to come back again and get saturated again in his presence and then it's the life again to be squeezed out to be saturated to be squeezed out and to be saturated nobody likes to be squeezed but god is going to use your life as the pressures of life begin to squeeze you and what comes out is what matters what comes out when you're squeezed he says in verse two he says i've seen you in the sanctuary and I beheld the power of your glory you know what he's saying I remember correctly I've been in church when your presence showed up I've been there when I felt your presence I've been there God when you showed up in our midst I remember you in the sanctuary and let's just admit it's easy to see and experience God in the sanctuary to see God, you know, when the worship team's up here singing some of these songs. And I don't care if it's your favorite style or not. Listen, I, like I tell people all the time, when I'm here and when I get here, it's on. I'm going for it. I don't care if they sang, Mary had a little lamb. And they tried to make it a metaphor for Mary and Jesus, right? I am going to worship God regardless because he's the king and he's worth it. So I want to get maximum saturation so I'm jumping in and the reality is, is in the presence of of the other people in the church, right? It's easy. But what about the wilderness? Because David's saying, I long to see your power and presence in the wilderness of my life, just like I saw it in the sanctuary, just like I experienced it this past Sunday. I long to see your presence on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. I saw it then. I remember what it felt like. I remember what it was like to be with the people of God. And now, God, I sensed it there, and I need it right here because it's dry and it's hot, and I'm weary. And and I'm tired and I need your presence in this moment and you know it's not being occupied with the wilderness but being occupied with a God in the wilderness that allows him to meet you where you are then in verse 3, he says, Because your love is better than life. Think about that. The love of God is better than life itself. Why? Because it's eternal, it's everlasting. His love never fails. This life will fade away, everything else is going to go away, but His love goes on and on and on. I think about that song we used to sing years ago on and on and on it goes. And therefore, because of that, verse 3, my lips will glorify you. We said this last week, lips, mouth, tongue signifies my speech. And so my speech, what's actually coming out of my mouth, is going to glorify God. If you want your dry, parched soul to experience the presence of the water of God to give you life, then what comes out of your mouth needs to glorify him. I can't keep myself from glorifying. That's what he's saying. That word there is praise. It means to sing praise, to laud, to soothe, to hold still. It's actually the Hebrew word shabak. It's going to soothe my soul. My lips are going to glorify you. Your love is that good. I, I've got to proclaim your love. I've got to tell you that I need you. I've got to tell you that I love you because you're that powerful. Because your love is something that I could never earn and certainly don't deserve. So I still praise you and thank you for that. Because you're king over all the earth. That's what psalm says as well. So I'm going to praise your name. I'm going to worship you. Then he says in verse 4, I will praise. That word is Barak. I will praise you as long as I live. No matter what, this is what I was made to do. No matter what, this is what I was made to do. Praise your name. I was made to glorify you. I am the most satisfied when you are the most glorified in my life. Now, God, I'm going to praise you. Now, I want you to remember, David is saying all of this, and he's in a really bad place. He's not in a good place. He's not going, God, I thank you for all this good stuff that's going on right now. Because things aren't good. He's simply saying, I'm thanking you, God, because you are very good, even though my circumstances are very bad. You're the king. You're in control. Joy and praise must become a choice based on the character of God, not just an emotion based on the circumstances of my current situation. So what he is saying, what we must say is, I will praise you as long as I live. My lips will glorify your name. I'll praise you. And then watch this, he says in verse four, in your name I will, what? Lift up my hands. In your name, I will lift up my hands. In your name, because of who you are, you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I will lift up my hands. That means I will praise you. I will glorify you. This is a physical act of worship. It's also a physical act of prayer. First Timothy talks about, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands. Basically what he's saying, that was a position of prayer that was really marking moral purity. That I'm coming into the presence of God and I'm going to lift up my hands and praise him. In this case, it's a posture of praise. Just like it is in Psalm 134. And you know what the word lift means? Watch this. It means to raise or to be raised to a higher position or level. It means to raise someone's spirits or confidence To pick up and move to a different position. It means to be transported by air. The Hebrew means to carry, lift, exalt, to raise high. So get this, when you begin to praise God for who he is with uplifted hands, we physically express with our posture, our hearts, that something's happening spiritually inside of us. Because how many of you know that a posture of the heart without a corresponding posture of our body can be somewhat confusing, if not disingenuous? You ever been to a middle school choir concert? There's a lot of disingenuous singing going on up there. They're talking talking about happy and excited and and they look like they could be 84,000 other places. That's where they'd rather be. I'm so happy that I'm up here singing. I wish my mama hadn't made me take choir. Why do I have to be on the front row? Cause I look like I'm so sad. (laughs) Y'all are, I'm not a middle schooler, so you don't have to feel sorry for me. I'm just saying, (laughs) that's the tough part of doing it. Like there's, there's this outward thing coming out of our mouths and there's no physical expression That says that we're happy or joyful or we're excited about Christmas or whatever. And sometimes worship's like going to a middle school choir concert. It's hard to hide the internal feeling of whether you really want to be singing to Jesus or not. And corporate worship It's supposed to be a place where we let all of our defenses down and begin to exalt the King of Kings. Because, you know, it'd be like you saying, well, you know, the posture of my heart, you said that's the most important. It is. But go, go on through your relationship with your spouse and go, well, I love you on the inside. With no outward expression to say that you actually do. No one ever legitimately says that. I'm loving you on the inside, honey. So get this. As I physically lift my hands to God, it spiritually raises me up and reminds me of the position that I have in Christ. Which Ephesians 2 says that God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms, heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When I lift my hands physically, God spiritually lifts me up and raises my confident hope that he is what? He is the one that my hope is in, that I can be confident that he is going to fulfill his promises. When I lift my hands physically, spiritually, I can feel God, what? Moving me from a position of defensiveness to a place of surrender, from a place of defeat to a place of victory, from a place of insecurity to a place of security in him. He's taking me, which is the definition, and moving me from one place that I currently am, and he's taking me spiritually to a place that I'm supposed to be. He picks us up, lifts us up, raises us up out of what? The pain of our present and moves us into the joy of his presence. You see, when we realize what the amazing grace of God has done on our behalfs, when we realize that our King has come to earth to save us by taking on our punishment that we deserved by sacrificing himself on the cross, that the God who walks on waves and rides to clouds has taken me from death to life, that he moved me out of darkness and into his marvelous light, then I can't help but to praise God and not just say out of my mouth that I lift my hands and my heart to you, but I do it with uplifted hands and God I praise you because you're worthy and yes it feels awkward and yes it feels weird but all of a sudden I'm not concerned about what it feels like to me I'm concerned about God that you're the king and you're worthy and deserving of my worship so that's good news for us today but why does God want us to lift up our hands I mean come on why why besides some of the spiritual ramifications I just mentioned let me just give you a few quick maybe metaphors or analogies of why Psalm 63 or 1 Timothy says for us to lift up our hands in prayer and in worship. I think we understand that we have a king who loves us well. He's not just a far-off king of kings like some sort of dictator. He is a benevolent loving father who is king. So we serve a king who loves well. Therefore, I believe God loves it when his spiritual children lift their hands to him in worship. I believe he loves that. I can remember as a young dad and I would come home, Caleb was our first child, and then Josiah and Anna and Issy and Zano, but I remember when Caleb was first born and he was unable to walk and he would just sit at the door, near the door, Carla might have placed him there, I don't know, maybe he was smart enough to know I was about to get home, I have no idea, but but I remember vividly, Caleb would just come and he would lift up his arms outstretched no matter how tired I was and how upset I was and how bad my day was, everything changed. And I'd just lift down and I'd oh, forget everything and pick him up and hold him. And I think about this because God never has a bad day. He never has a bad day at work. He's never coming home frustrated or angry. And the Bible says that if you, being an earthly father, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more are heavenly, Father? And and if I forget about all the things that I went through when I see my earthly child lifting up his hands to me and he picks me up, I pick him up and love him and forget about how much more when God's children, his sons and daughters lift up their hands to their heavenly Father who is also their king and says, I love you and I worship you. I believe it is pleasing to the father when we worship him this way. We lift our hands towards God. I believe our hearts move towards God. You know that scripture in James that says, draw near to God and he will draw near to us. You know, God has never left us. He's always with us. He's always near us. But when we lift our hands to him, worshiping the king of kings and the Lord of lords, we draw near to our heavenly fathers. We lift our hands saying, God, I need you. This is as far as my reach goes. And guess what? His arm is not too short to reach however far he needs to, to draw you near to him. Isn't that, you know, like my, my, my son, my daughter, however small they were, that's, that's as far as it goes for them. They can't get it. They can't jump yet. They can't reach any further. They're depending on their father to make up the distance. And I'm so glad when I get here on Sunday morning and it feels like I'm lifting my hands about one inch, although they're as high as they're going to go, that my heavenly father, who's the king of kings, makes up the distance. It also, yeah, you could praise God this morning. Because my sponge is still soaking over here, boy. It's going to be saturated. It can also be an offering of praise. Like you might give money in an offering, and that's one way to give an offering. But lifting your hands can also be an offering to God as well. That's what Psalm 141 says. David again, and he's also again at a very low point. Have you ever thought, man, I just feel like I've had a lot of low points in my life. Well, then just go read the Psalms, please. David didn't just have one low point in his life. It's like, like I said, one third of these st- Psalms are low points in his life. It's like, man, bro, you, what is wrong? Same thing that's wrong with me. And that's why I go read them. Oh Lord, I'm calling on you. Please hurry. Listen when I cry to you for help. Accept my prayer as incense offered to you. And watch this. My upraised hands. That's not a metaphor for anything. It's my upraised hands. As an evening offering. I love this. I'm praying. Accept this as an offering, God. I love you. I need you. Accept my upraised hands as an evening offering to you. Have you ever thought of giving an offering of uplifted hands? Now, not in lieu of open hands when money is involved. Oh, yeah, I give uplifted hands all the time. Back in the day when we used to pass the bucket, that's oh, uplifted hands. Sorry, let it go on by. I'm offering like this. Is it by? Okay. Whew. We don't pass the bucket anymore for that very reason. Too many uplifted hands. Just kidding. That's not true at all. That was COVID. Some of you right now are in a place where you're saying, God, this is all I have to offer to you. And and we do that. God, I'm offering my heart to you. I'm offering my praise to you. You may not even feel like praising God right now, but instead you're going to offer a sacrifice of praise. And I'm going to praise you anyway, not because of what I see, not because of what I'm currently going through, but because of who you are, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm telling you, God is pleased with that kind of offering, especially when you don't feel like it. And then lastly, another reason you lift your hands to God is because we're declaring battle and we need God's help in that battle. The battle is yours, Lord. I need your help. Some of you right now, you're in a place where you're in a battle. real battle. I'm there with you and it's dark. It's a dark place. There is absolutely no way you're going to get out of it in your own strength. There's absolutely no way that you can make things happen in your own ability. So you're going to lift up your hands and maybe today at the end you're going to lift up your hands and say I'm declaring battle. I need your help God right now because you are all powerful. You're the king of kings and you're in control. So I need you to do battle for me. The word says the battle is yours God and I'm so glad Because I can't fight it. I'm declaring battle with uplifted hands. The best example that I've ever seen of that is, maybe you know the story of Moses lifting his hands in the battle against the Amalekites in Exodus. And it's just a chapter 17. I don't have time to go through it, but you can read it. It's just one of those crazy stories that you're like, I don't really understand why this is the way that it is. But this is what Moses says in 17, verse 9. Tomorrow I'll stand on top of the mountain. They're fighting against the Amalekites. They're going to battle. And I'm going to hold up the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses and then Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held up his hands, the, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Think about this picture of lifted hands and drooping hands. Winning, losing. Winning, losing. So every time he lifted his hands, they were winning. God's people were winning. But when his arms no longer were up, no longer acknowledging the power of God, even though they were weak, God's people started to lose. Hebrews 12, 12, I was reading this actually early this morning. It says, lift up our drooping hands and strengthen our weak knees, which is a metaphor for emotional and spiritual fatigue. Some of you are emotionally and spiritually fatigued and your hands are drooping. And you're ready to give up. And here's the reality. Although you are in that, you're in a battle. And the enemy wants you to give up. But what we begin to do, although we don't have any power in and of our own strength, except to say, God, you do. It's your battle. I'm going to lift up my hands and I'm going to glorify you. I trust you no matter what. So I lift my hands and say, I surrender it all. On my own, I can't do this. But you, God, can. I lift my hands up. I praise you. Lord, let all of this fall away from me. Whatever it is, I'm lifting my hands up, declaring that you are in control of my life and the life of my family and the situation, whatever it is. And if you are for me, the word says that no one and nothing can stand against me. So I'm doing that by physically just exalting Jesus with my uplifted hands. Then what's interesting in verse 12, whenever Moses' hands grew tired because you can't leave your hands up forever, right? We all get tired. Then Aaron and her would come and lift his hands up for him and like prop him up. You know what's indicative of that is that you can't do this alone. Sometimes you need to show up here on a Sunday morning when you come in and your hands are just drooping by your side and your knees are weak and you need to get with somebody else. Don't get by yourself. Get honest. Get humble. And say, I need some help. I might need you to actually do what I do with my kids when they're young and they're standing here like this. And they look at me, but then one day they're going to do that on their own. But maybe you need a friend today to just hold up your hands and hold up your arms so that like David, although you remember what it was like in the sanctuary, you feel like you're in the wilderness right now, and you say, Lord, I'm lifting my hands, and he's going to be pleased with that. I'm offering a praise to you right now, and he's going to be pleased with that. And then you're going to declare the battle is yours because, Father, I can't fight it any longer. Strengthen my hands. We know that lifting our hands means actually two things universally it has historically, right? Winning. I, I wish I'd have done this more yesterday, but I didn't get to. And what happens when you lift your hands up when you win? I mean, you watch any sporting event. Everybody, as soon as somebody wins, everybody's hands goes up. Yeah. And then their feet go up, if they still can do that. Right? They're jumping, and their hands are up. It means winning. We won. Or they do this. This is like the cobra, right? Oh, we lost. We lost. We lost. It also means I surrender. I give up. But did you know in Jesus it means both simultaneously? You won. You're winning God. You will always win. You've always won. So I surrender. I surrender Jesus because you have won. You have never lost. We've already saying it. You've always been faithful. You're going to break through. You're going to make this happen. You're going to win because you already have. And it's right, right now I'm in the middle of this desert. I'm in the middle of this wilderness. But God, I know how this story ends. I know how my story ends because Jesus, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you are the victor. You have won. So although I feel like I'm losing right now, I just declare I'm surrendering, God. And you are the victor. You are victorious. You are winning. I surrender. And maybe you need somebody else to help you do that today, and that's fine. Because we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's already come once, and then there's going to be the return of the king. And this time in Revelation, it says that he's going to come, and on his robe and on his thigh, it's going to be written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And we're going to be saying, I surrender, and you won. And we've been declaring it as long as we could.